Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made the chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 26th, 2020. We are almost done with the 2020 season as the Tampa Bay Rays refuse to die And the best of seven series with the Los Angeles Dodgers will continue this upcoming week. For White Sox fans, all that means is a delay until the offseason officially opens. But that hasn't stopped so many of you submitting your Sox Machine offseason plan projects. On this episode, we'll have some of our posters join me to share what I think are good, weird, or unique ideas that the White Sox could pursue this offseason. And we also have a celebrity pick'em. Our celebrity pick'em is a good friend of the show, even though this is his first appearance on the Sox Machine podcast. You've heard both Jim and I join his show on 670 The Score, which we are always grateful for that opportunity. Weekdays from 12 to 2 p.m. Central Time. You've also watched his post-game videos on Twitter throughout the 2020 White Sox season, making me wonder where he gets all of those White Sox hats. Joining us now on the Sox Machine podcast is the host of the Lawrence Holmes show. It's Lawrence Holmes. And hey, Lawrence, thanks for joining the Sox Machine podcast. I am so excited, man. I love you guys, Pod. And I was listening to, to you all break down the, the series with Oakland, and it was just so good. Like, you guys are always so good to me that I'm, I'm very happy to be on the podcast. Well, we bring you on at a really unique situation time for the Chicago White Sox because they are now transitioning from the 60 game 2020 season, which for a lot of franchises 
they're not going to learn anything, right? A good example is the Houston Astros. They just got more bad news. Josh James is going to be out six to eight months because of hip surgery. They've already lost Justin Verlander, and he's scheduled to make $35 million next year. They had no fans attend any of their games, and it sounds like from Houston, they are punting uh, as far as re-signing George Springer and Michael Brantley. So here's a team that was one game away from going to the World Series and now might be trying to reload in 2021. However, that's not going to be the situation for the White Sox, Lawrence. They are now entering as far as their contention window. But watching the World Series between the Rays and the Dodgers, has there been anything from what you have seen from this series influence your thoughts on how the White Sox should proceed now into this contention window? Well, I don't think that they have – I mean, you look at what the Dodgers have become. What, what's happened over the last decade of Dodgers baseball. And honestly, it's, it's, the, it's the franchise that you're trying to duplicate, mm-hmm. but no franchise really has the cash to do it. I think what's really interesting about this World Series is you have both of the franchises that Andrew Friedman was a part of but you, you have the, the differences, and it may just be one game. The difference is, is with all of the things that the Rays do right, like they're kind of a model franchise too, the Dodgers can do all that, and they can go get Mookie Betts. Right. And they can spend you know, $400 million on, on a great player like that. What I, I would hope is that when I look at the Dodgers lineup, I see a bunch of guys that, can, that are versatile in their at-bats. I, I see guys that, yeah, they hit the long ball. Like that, that's an offense that can explode. But they also put together good at-bats. Like even as we're recording during game five, watching Mookie Betts in, the, in his first at-bat just figure out and stretch a count already, like get Glasnow to go deep into the, the pitch count in the first at-bat and then smack a double off the wall. I always feel like Dodgers hitters – are thinking mm-hmm. at the plate. And it's not always the feeling that I get from the White Sox. So if, if, that's, if that's something that's even tangible, and I think that you, you get that with better players and guys that have better hitter profiles than what the White Sox have in their lineup already, that's kind of the thing. The thing I'd love for them to take away from what the Rays do is the Rays play clean baseball. They pick up the ball. They throw it to the right base. They, they are fundamentally as sound as they, they can be. And because of their issues with payroll, they understand that everything inside the margin has to be tight. Mm-hmm. And so they play that way. And I like that. Like Even going back to when Joe Madden was managing them, that that was part of what the Rays were as an organization. I'd love for the White Sox to be a little I, – I think they're – as weird as this sounds, because the White Sox are in a big market, I think they're closer. They can be closer to what the Rays are with better technique and coaching mm-hmm. than what the Dodgers are. Because I don't see them spending the way year in and year out that the Dodgers do. And some of that has to do, and I know I'm rambling, but some of that has to do with the fact that Rick Hahn's done a great job of already having the, the team-friendly contracts. Right. So, great. You've got a bunch of talented dudes. 
get the most out of those talented dudes by making them more complete players. Yeah, you bring up a really good point as far as the Rays because, yeah, as long as Jerry Reinsdorf's owning the team, I don't expect the White Sox, Lawrence, to ever challenge the luxury tax. Like, that is a conversation that we've never had talking about the White Sox. It's a conversation that we have when talking about the Chicago Cubs and kind of where the Cubs are right now as they head into 2021. I think that might be over for them, though. (laughs) I I think that going forward over the next few years that they're going to be – I remember, I, I mean, look, I know, know that which podcast I'm on, but I'll just tell you, I had a conversation with Jason Hayward yeah. back in May, and he, he said that the guys in that clubhouse felt like this was the end. Hmm. And now, like, all the things that you're seeing over there can lead you to believe that this is the end. The, the stuff with Theo, like how that's become – the cutbacks that they're having organizationally where there are a lot of good people, good people in the scouting department right. that they've let go of. So I think that we're, we're going to go to a, a, a more, hmm, how can I say this? Fiscally responsible <laughs> uh, era of Cubs baseball. And, and I, I hope that the White Sox now are in a place where don't, you don't have to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to go and spend the inheritance inheritance, but if there's a player that you really want that you think can make you better, don't hesitate to do it because the window is open. And I was glad to see them do that was with Yasmani Grandal. And we'll see if they do that in this particular offseason. We did have quite a few Sox machine offseason plan projects that had the White Sox trading for Jason Hayward. So we'll use this as a segue to get your thoughts on what you would like the White Sox to do this offseason to prep for the 2021 season. And obviously the number one task for the White Sox front office is to figure out who their new manager is going to be for next season and beyond to help them during this contention window. And Lawrence, we, we've heard a lot of names. I, I, I think I went on six of the score and I still believe that, you know, 60% of me believes that it's going to be AJ Hinch. That'll be the next manager of the White Sox. And maybe the other 35% is Alex Cora. And the other 5% is uh, maybe Tony LaRussa at this point. But with so many names being attached as far as to the White Sox and a wide range of levels of smoke uh, to those rumors as far as who the White Sox could hire as manager, who do you want to manage the White Sox in 2021? I mean, it's a really hard question because I've gone back and forth. I think that no matter who they hire, it will be a strategic upgrade over Ricky. Mm -hmm. All of the names that are attached to the White Sox as it stands right now, I think they would be upgrades. It bothers me that Ozzy's not on the list. And I'm not saying this because I, I just adore Ozzy. I think that when you look at the makeup of your team and the amount of respect that Ozzy has in Latin American baseball, that to summarily dismiss him as an option, I, I don't understand the, the thinking in that. The LaRusa thing to me, and I heard you talk, I actually was listening to you talk about this on the score. I feel as if they can't talk about Cora or Hinch mm-hmm. until the World Series is over. Therefore, the one guy that they can talk about once they got permission from the Angels 
And I, I, I haven't reached out to Joe Madden, but I would love to pick his brain on because I'm sure Joe was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I think right now with them firing, was it Billy Epler? Like, yeah, Billy Epler. Him, I'm pretty sure that Joe's the most powerful person in the organization now. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm sure he's like, oh, please, yeah, please come talk to Tony LaRussa. I think that there's value in having LaRussa work with Jerry to walk through this process. I don't think it's the smartest idea to have him manage this particular team of White Sox. If it were, because in my mind, you can have all of the LaRusa stuff, that you could have all of that cachet and winning with Bruce Bochy. Mm -hmm. You could have all of that with Bochy, and he's 10 years younger, and he's more attached to the dugout he's more you know recently attached to the dugout i would if, if i'm ranking the names that we've already heard larusa would be on the bottom i don't think bochi is getting enough talk like that's a guy that i think walks in and immediately gets respect and it's for for the young guys on this team they can remember Bruce Bochy winning World Series with the Giants because it wasn't that long ago. Right. AJ Hinch seems to be what Rick Hahn was saying when he talked at his his year in press conference about having success recently with championship teams. I'm sure that there are a lot of questions, and maybe the White Sox don't want to be attached to to Hinch or Cora. I I don't understand why Sandy Alomar's name hasn't come up. Right. I, I think that he would be a really interesting choice for them as well. I would probably lean like, – I, I kind of feel like you, um, where that 5% that you have for Larusa, like that would be Bochi. Okay. So I would probably go I, – I would probably go Hinch, Cora, Bochi, Alomar, Guillen, Larusa, if I was ranking them. Yeah, Bochi was a surprise when his name started popping up, when people mentioned him, because I thought there's a part of him that retired because I think he knew the Giants were going to enter into a rebuild, sure. and he doesn't want to deal with that. Uh, and I don't blame him. But there's also health. That's also been an issue for Bochi um, as far as his heart issues. So kind of a combination of the two. It's a very stressful job. I can't imagine if you're a manager that's got heart issues that it's good for the ticker uh, to be in these really competitive situations <laughs> with the, with the San Francisco giants. Um, but he, again, if you're trying to bring in some of the championship experience, I mean, the giants were the last dynasty in major league baseball, as far as, getting the deal done and winning world championships while obviously the Dodgers have had a terrific run the last five seasons. Uh, I think that would be a fascinating hire. How do you think he would handle though? Cause he's only managed in San Diego and San Francisco moving from the national league game to the American league game. Do you think there would be any impact for him with that? I think that it's probably harder for lifetime AL managers to move to the National League than vice versa. And I, I don't think I, – I know my guy Herbie is always like, double switch is not hard to do. It, it, it's not, <laughs> yeah. but, but managing the bullpen on top of that, I do think has some challenges that go along with it. But I, I actually think that, that one of the things that we're going to see, I think they're, they've been moving towards – 
the universal DH for the last five years. And I think that, that after this season, there was some success with the approach and, and what the ratings were for each individual team for a lot of different reasons, uh-huh. including the sprint to the finish. Uh, but I think that the universal DH is going to be a thing. So I, I, I wouldn't be afraid of Bochi at all, at all for a lot of reasons. There's been a ton of interleague since he's been the manager of the Giants. So I don't think that, that managing in the American League would be that big of a hurdle for him. Yeah, and the, again, right now, both the Players Association and Major League Baseball, Tony Clark and Rob Manfred, really need to sit down shortly after the World Series is over so they can decide if there's going to be a universal DH in 2021 because that will greatly impact a lot of free agents this upcoming offseason, especially sure. for like Marcelo Zuna and Michael Brantley uh, as a lot of teams look at them as DHs. And all of a sudden, if you're back to only half the league having DHs, that really impacts as far as their free agent market on what kind of teams go after them. So I, I mentioned those two because the next topic I want to ask you about is right field. And, you know, Jim and I, we, we have a tough time trying to answer the question about the White Sox right field situation because it's been a problem for a decade uh, ever since Jermaine Dye uh, has left, except for the one good season of Adam Eaton in right field. And it's been a problem for the White Sox. Obviously, Garcia really never developed into a consistent force for the White Sox. He had one good half that turned out to be an all-star season in right field, but obviously it didn't work out for Nomar Mazzara for the White Sox in 2020, but there is the opportunity to tender him a contract and give him another shot in 2021. You do have George Springer, who is going to be a free agent. Uh, Jock Peterson has been a pretty popular target as well um, from fans in the Sox machine offseason plan project. So Lawrence, how would you handle the White Sox right field situation for 2021? I think Springer is going to cost too much money. I think there's going to be too many suitors for him. Um, I'd love to get a year or two of Michael Brantley in, in right field. Yeah. If you could, I'm, I'm not adverse to them signing Puig. Like I, I thought that them adding Puig last year would have been, and I know that, you know, he ended up contracting COVID and, and, and didn't play for, for the entire season. I feel like if you are the swaggy team, like you might as well go get Puig and be the absolute swaggiest team. It'd be a, it'd be a fist fight between the White Sox and the Padres on which team has more swag on it. That's true. But I, I, I can tell you that I hope that they don't bring Mazzara back. I just don't think it was a good fit. And maybe it was because it's, it was such a short season and he could never really find his rhythm. What bothered me is he never found his power. Right. Even if he didn't hit, like let, let's say he, he didn't hit for average, but he was hitting bombs for you, that he was a real threat in the lineup, you could accept it. I, I, it just never seemed to click. And, and then you see how the season ends and you're just like, huh, typical. You know, like that, that's kind of <laughs> how, how it all felt like uh, throughout the season. But I would – if I were them, my target would be Brantley. Um, I would, I, and again, I'm crazy. Like I would want them to target Puig as well. 
There are some White Sox fans that think Adam Engel should get another shot starting right field after how he played in 2020. How do you feel about Adam Engel moving forward for the White Sox? I was a, a Adam Engel hater. Like I was someone that didn't like seeing Adam Engel take it bats, even though he played incredible defense. I have moved off of that with the way that he, he played throughout the season. I don't think that he's your everyday right fielder, but I do think that there should be a place for him on your team. And considering that Aloy is still out there patrolling left, you do need defensive replacements in games that matter. Mm-hmm. He's someone that I would have on my roster, but I, and, and I guess I would technically like if, like, let's say I brought in Puig. Like, let's say we, you, the White Sox couldn't get Brantley, and I brought in Puig. I'd be okay with telling Puig, you have to earn this job, and you have to fend off Adam Engel. And I know that profile-wise, I'm talking about two right-handed hitters, so you're not even talking about, like, splits and stuff and, and platooning them. But in, in a situation like that, I would say to Adam Engel, all right, you showed us some stuff. And you showed us enough stuff that made it so that we're going to allow for you to compete for this job out in right field. So for the White Sox, there are two key internal free agents that's based on the Sox machine offseason plan project. A lot of posters are letting both players go. But if you were in the front office and they asked for your opinion, Lawrence, we only have enough money to sign one of these two players who would you sign to keep for the 2021 season and beyond Alex Colome as the closer or James McCann? It's easy for me. It's McCann. And I know that, that I am someone that is, that has, has been an advocate for James McCann. I think that Alex Colome has been one of the more pleasant surprises that the White Sox have had over the last few years. That being said, I am confident in the young arms that they have in their bullpen, that they're guys that can project out to being a closer for you. And maybe it's not this year, but if you're telling me that I have to choose between giving James McCann, you know, seven to $8 million per year or bringing back Colome, I'm going to go with McCann because McCann provides incredible defense. And, and I mean, not even when he's just on the field. I think that he is, he is completely, he's been kind of like the de facto pitching coach. Mm-hmm. And his relationship that he has with Lucas Giolito, I think is more important than even having a closer. And I know that's weird because Lucas only pitches every fifth day, but you know that he is already connected with your two top starters, that both of those guys trust him to call games. And with Lucas, and you look at the shakeoffs that that Lucas had throughout the season, he rarely shakes McCann off. Right. And that 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 to me that is telling. And if you want to help bring these young guys along, and I know that Grandal has the the pitch framing aspect of it down, I think that there are still elements of catcher defensively that he is limited in. And I think that McCann makes that strong. And I, I guess the question is, what is it that James wants? Right. Does James want to be an everyday catcher? And is, does that mean more to him to be an everyday catcher 
than to be someone who is integral to the success of a team that if they make the, a couple of the, the right moves can end up being a world series contender. Let's say the best deal that James McCann can get in the open market is three years, $30 million. Do you wow. think the white Sox there's no sign? Way. I, I, the, the number that was in my head at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. was three for 21 for him. And that's a significant raise. What do you make? Five? Five million, yeah. And now I think that with his reputation and how well he played, I think that that number is closer to between three and 24 and three and 27. That'd be hard. That would, for them to sign a backup catcher at 10 million per, it's not even eight million per. Right. It's not our money. But this is a team that does cry poor and that they only have so much to spend this offseason. Do you think it'd be well worth the money to invest McCann and keep him around for the next two or three years at $8 million per season? Eight is probably the limit, even for me. That, that's probably as high as I would go because you have so much already in, invested in Grandal. Man, that's a lot of damn money for both of your catchers, but I do think that there's, I think that there's value that cannot be quantified mm-hmm. with James McCann, and it's hard to make that argument to White Sox fans because they they'll say, hey, well, he's only going to catch two days a week, and then what are you going to do? And and my answer is, for me, he would catch three days a week, and I would find ways to DH Grandal in certain lines, but I. But I just think that there's, there's so much that he adds to that clubhouse that if you subtract him from it, it leaves a terrible void. Yeah. The other key area for the White Sox this offseason is starting pitching. It was obvious at the end of 2020, they just did not have that third horse that they could count on to get through the wild card round against the Oakland Athletics. There is a lot of promising young arms, Dane Dunning, Uh, Really had some excellent starts in his rehab uh, of 2020. Dylan Seas was frustrating throughout this entire season. It just seemed like he couldn't get into rhythm nor stack up as far as strikeouts. We heard Steve Stone often on your show and even during broadcast that this is something that he has to learn going to next season. And of course, Michael Kopech did not pitch at all for the White Sox this season. And Ronaldo Lopez will see what the White Sox want to do. But obviously, there is a hole here after Giolito and Keuchel that Rick Hahn needs to find somebody else to help stabilize his starting rotation. Who do you like as far as in free agency or in the trade market, Lawrence, to come in and join the White Sox starting staff? You're going you're gonna to think that I'm crazy for saying this. Me and, and Herb Lawrence were having a conversation about this today. What if I said Jose Quintana? Love it. Bring him back. <laughs> Nostalgia, I would love it. Give, give Katana an opportunity to pitch for the White Sox when they're good. <laughs> he, he's what, 32? Yeah. You sign him to a two- or three-year deal. He's basically your fifth. Like, he's your fifth starter. Yeah. And then you figure out between Dunning and Cease. By the way, Cease is one of those guys that I, I was talking about, like, I could see profiling into being a closer. Mm-hmm. because he's got the stuff 
and you maybe don't trust them beyond an inning or, or a couple of innings. And I know that there's more value in him being a starter. Don't get me wrong. But I think that he, when you're talking triple digits and just being, being able to tell him, young man, go out there and just let her rip for, for three outs. I think that could be a very dangerous dude to, to add into your bullpen. But Quintana, it would be, look, Trevor Bauer would be awesome. Right. That would, I mean, now you're, now you're really talking about taking that next step. I, I felt like Trevor Bauer was the best pitcher in baseball this year. He comes with a lot of stuff. He is like Shaft, a very complicated man. <laughs> um, but he, I think they, he's another guy that I think has added value. Because look at what the relationship that he has with you, Darvish. Right. And the things that Darvish was able to pick up from him. I think adding a guy like that to your rotation can maybe help with some of the younger guys. I still have questions about Kopech. I, I, I don't want to just say that he is slotted in as your third guy. But if, every, if, if the scouting is right and everything physically is right with him, then, of course, you, you would think that it would be Giolito, Keuchel, then Kopech. And in my world, it would be Quintana. And then your battle for that fifth spot. I thought that Reynaldo Lopez got a little bit of the shaft going into the playoffs. I thought that he was the pitcher that was most consistent at the end of the season of the, the, the likely candidates to start a game three. Mm-hmm. I thought that he had done a good job of going to Schaumburg and coming back and being better. I would have liked for him to get a chance. Like he's got the stuff. And it's the same thing with Cease where you see the stuff and you're like, okay, like that plays, like that stuff plays at the major league level, but there's something that's holding them back. Perhaps now that you're going to go in a different direction with the pitching coach, you might be able to unlock some of those things Hmm. now, but I don't know if the White Sox are in a position to handhold. I think this was the last of the handholding years. Got it. And now, and now it's winning time. Yeah, the, the leashes are pretty short, especially if the goal is to win the American League Central in 2021. So we, we've, we talked through a lot of situations for the White Sox for this upcoming offseason. And again, the offseason technically starts next week after the World Series ends. But of all the players that we, we've spoken about, is there anyone in particular that you really think the White Sox should target in free agency or trade this offseason to make this roster better for next season? Brantley's the guy. I, I mean, I, I don't have a place for him, but DJ LeMayu would also be on my list oh, of man. guys that I, I'd love to see them. But Could you I, imagine Anderson and LeMayu batting one-two in this lineup? I sure could. I, I sure could. Imagine Jose Abreu guys. better drive in 140 if he's got Anderson and LeMayu batting in front of him. Be those two guys, but I think that Brantley is the guy that if you're the White Sox, that that's that becomes someone that you know is going to give you quality at bats, that fills a a position of need at least for a little while for you, and and adds something to your lineup that you don't have. I I really do like their team overall, and things happened 
more rapidly than I expected them to. Mm -hmm. I thought that the White Sox would win 32 games this year. Right. So they, they, they went over um, what I expected them to do. And I was really happy that they did that. And now I'm greedy. I'm like every other White Sox fan. <laughs> like, I want more. I, I want them to do more. I want them to act like a team that feels that they can win. And so it shocked me when they fired Ricky. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I felt like it was the right move, but I was shocked that they actually did it. And it felt very different from what we've seen. Like the White Sox as an organization have a, a, a reputation of being very loyal and not ruthless. And I mean that in the most positive way. This felt ruthless. Like if it were me, I would have fired Ricky last year and I would have thrown a whole bunch of money at Joe Madden mm -hmm. because I felt like they were in the same place right. where a guy like Joe Madden would be perfect to bring into the clubhouse. And, and that obviously you're not going to do that because you're not paying like Artie Moreno money and he loved being out there. But now is the time for the White Sox to, to strike. And the, the managerial hire means a lot. I, I would love to see them make a really progressive, progressive and aggressive move and not worry about if you're going to be ruthless, don't worry about what people are going to say if you hire A.J. Hench or Alex Cora. It right. doesn't matter. They will have theoretically served their time once the world series is over and, and Hinch is going to get hired by somebody. Yeah. Why not have him be hired by you instead of him, instead of him being hired by a team that you're going to face. And, and I think that that makes the difference. I'm someone who believes managers like the, their value is more than just, you know, two games. I think that's kind of the consensus is, you know, a good manager maybe wins you two or three games. I think that number is closer to five. And more importantly, a bad manager loses you games. Right. It's one thing to not say, well, a manager can't win you games, but bad managers lose you games. And I want to see the White Sox take all of those things because they're, they're balling on a budget. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, they're balling on a budget, Josh. You know this. Yep. So – You've got to clean up every piece of the margin that you can to try and make your team a winner. Well, I'm 100% with you on the Michael Brantley angle. I think he would be a fantastic addition to the White Sox lineup. I'm also rooting for Marcus Stroman. I think if they can make a similar deal like they did with Keiko with Stroman, even though Stroman opted out of the 2020 season, I think those would be two excellent signings for the White Sox if they could come out of this offseason. But who knows, man? I mean, how would you feel, though? And we'll, we'll leave it here. Of the, I don't want to say it's doomsday situation, but what happens if word gets out that Jerry Reinstar tells Rick Hahn, listen, I lost a bunch of revenue, so no, you can't spend like you did this offseason like last year. How would you feel about the White Sox chances then going to 2021? I still think that they're in contention to win the American League Central you are still talking about a batting champion, a, an MVP, because I think that Jose Abreu 
deserves the MVP. A guy in Alloy that people forgot about, but you look at what he did in, in September. Right. Like his, his numbers were crazy in September. You've got what you need, along with Grandal. Um, and I guess in, in this scenario, you're not able to bring back McCann because you, you're going to be outpriced. But I would still say that the, I, the White Sox would be in a great position. I don't think that, that even with the loss of revenue, I think that we are seeing Jerry Reinsdorf in a win-now mode. And to me, the firing of Ricky, no matter who ends up managing going forward, that's, that's what I feel like I learned. I, I feel like I learned Jerry is like, hey, we're good. And we should be better. So let's go out and be better. And I don't think that Rick needs to spend like he's, he spent last offseason. I think that it's about making the right move now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why the, those two moves that you mentioned, I'm, I'm with it. I am here for it. Stroman's another guy that I think if you add him to this particular clubhouse, yeah, man, he's perfect for it. He's – I – He's so perfect for it that I feel like you would see more of Kenny Williams in 2021. Like he's that Kenny's type of dude, you know? So that if the White Sox were to walk away with that being their off season, and then you could, you can theoretically be like, Oh, well they're adding Kopech back to it too. Right. That's a damn fine off season that the, the White Sox would have. And I, I, I'd be here for it, and, and I'd be curious on who is going to, to manage this squad. You can follow Lawrence on Twitter. He's at Lawrence W. Holmes. Listen to his show on 670 to score and also the radio.com app weekdays from 12 to 2 p.m. Central time. You could also watch his show on Twitch, which is a fun adjustment, Lawrence. And I'm still not like caught up on the Twitch as far as the streams for the score. So how does that work? Yeah. I, they just got me used to it like a little while ago and I actually have really liked it now. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670, the score. I, I love it. I love the interaction that we have with people on there. And I have to be cognizant of what I'm doing all the time when I'm on the air, because I'm also now, you know, you can see me now which is, <laughs> which is crazy um but i did something different with my stream i said because i wanted to make sure that we kept people during breaks yeah so brian gertz who's in charge of all of that stuff for us i sent him a whole bunch of pictures of me at like different sporting events and all sorts of stuff so during the commercials that's what runs on the twitch stream and I actually it's so weird that you even brought it up because I actually found like 12 more pictures nice. to send him uh, to, to add to the, actually it's like 20 more. Now I'm looking at it, but I have like pictures going back to like Hampton homes and all sorts of stuff that I'm going to have Gertz add to, to what we do on Twitch. So I appreciate you mentioning it. And I'm, I'm very thankful that people throughout everything that's gone on in 2020, there have been a lot of people who have interacted with the show, whether they're listening to the show. 
I know that people are out of their regular routine. So it's not like I'm getting people on their lunch break like I was before. Right. But whether it's me on Twitter with the caps, whether it's the radio show, people watching on Twitch, uh, I really do appreciate that folks have been like, I'm curious what Lawrence has to say about whatever uh, the conversation is. And it's been really fun to be able to do shows as weird as it sounds in, 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 in an off season before the game started where there were no sports and it was fun for me <laughs> yeah. to try and create in that space. And the White Sox, and, and to a certain extent, the Cubs, but more so the White Sox, it was a really great gift to be able to, after every single game, being in it and, like, having people be passionate about White Sox baseball. Like, that was so much fun. Like, people just living and dying with, with what's happening and really paying attention to managerial moves. And it, it became a really um, – humbling experience to see so i would get there were a couple of the the loho recaps that got like thirty thousand views on twitter (laughs) and it was just a stupid idea like i was just kind of making fun of cap at first yep (laughs) and and then it turns into this thing and when i figured out to just do the change the caps and i actually gave um, a, a majority of the caps that you saw mm-hmm. to a listener, to a White Sox fan. Oh, nice. I mailed, mailed them out to that listener last week. Uh, it was great. And the White Sox, like, jumped on board. And every couple weeks, like, I get a bag at my front door <laughs> of caps that I didn't have. And there were so many that I didn't even get a chance to wear. Oh, nice. Because we, we were hoping that the White Sox would win more games, obviously. But yeah. The, the people that have been down with my show, I, I truly, sincerely thank them for the support that they've shown it. Well, Lawrence also has a podcast called The House of L. He, he mentioned it, that he shares more of his thoughts in an extended, uninterrupted format. If you're a Bears fan, he's got some great stuff as well. Uh, with the Chicago Bears, I know the Bears have been playing great football as well. And you can listen to the House of L podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And, and Lawrence, it's an honor to have you on our podcast finally. Thank you for everything that you do for us at Sox Machine. And uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts on what the White Sox should do this upcoming offseason. Whenever you guys need me, I am around. Man, I love this podcast. If you're listening because I'm on the podcast, subscribe to this podcast give it a five-star review write it up let people know that you listen to it like i listen to it it is an incredible source of white Sox conversation and news your business may be small but you've got big goals brother laser printers can help you succeed no matter the space task or budget from crisp black and white to vivid full color our printers offer affordable quality you can trust Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
Well, Lawrence, again, thank you so much. And coming up next on the Sox Machine podcast, it's some of our posters' ideas as far as what the White Sox should do this offseason. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. It's time now to hear from our posters who made their 2021 offseason plan project submissions on SoxMachine.com. There are always good ideas that I didn't think of when approving the White Sox roster, not just for next season, but for the contention window. Our first idea is to help keep costs low by extending two of the more dependable bullpen arms. And joining me now on the Sox Machine podcast is Daniel Levy to share his ideas. And Daniel, thanks for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. So last year, we saw the White Sox sign Aaron Bummer to a contract extension. I thought it was a bit weird to do so. But knowing how good he is for the White Sox, it's also nice to know he's only $2 million in 2021. It seems you want to repeat that type of signing, but extending Evan Marshall and Cody Hoyer after their very good 2020 seasons. So why do you think the time is now to sign Marshall and Hoyer to new deals? Well, so I'll start with Evan Marshall. For Evan Marshall, I see him as maybe a half a tier lower than than Aaron Bummer. Um, he's pitched really well in his last two years in the majors. And I know it's a small sample size, but last year in 23 innings, zero barrels given up. Um, I think the time is right to extend both of these players, but particularly Marshall, because at this time, you can get him for a really team-friendly contract, keep him for the next four or five years, uh, get an extra year on him, and give the, give the White Sox that bullpen that you see on those World Series teams where once you're in the sixth with a lead, you've virtually guaranteed a win. Yeah, Cliff Polite, right? He was uh, a big part of that White Sox 2005 bullpen, as well as Dustin Hermanson, especially the beginning of the year before Bobby Jenks came out and was the big closer. Any... Any as far as uh, hesitancy when you were trying to think of these uh, deals, especially for like a, a reliever like Cody Hoyer, which I know he was good in 2020, but we haven't seen him for a full season. And uh, we did live through the uh, Nate Jones era. And Nate Jones was very good with the White Sox, and then the injuries piled up. Do you have any concerns for Hoyer moving forward as far as in that regard? Yeah, with Cody Hoyer, you especially with Nate Jones, you do see the resemblance in the arm motion and the potential for injury. But I have him uh, for a five-year, $10 million contract, which in the long term isn't too bad. And I think if you look at his stuff and what we've seen this year, his potential, he could be uh, as good as Aaron Bummer or just right, right in that tier. And I think it's really important that the White Sox lock up some of this young talent now before it gets too expensive. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, for my plan, I have Cody Hoyer as the closer for the White Sox in 2021. So I hope he doesn't become Nate Jones and uh, hopefully injuries are not uh, in his path. And uh, again, I like both ideas assigning Evan Marshall and Cody Hoyer to new deals. You also had another contract extension for a White Sox player that really caught my eye. And that's Andrew Vaughn. Your idea is to sign Vaughn to a six year $57 million extension before he even plays a game with the White Sox, kind of following the same suit as uh, Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. I assume then, Daniel, you think Andrew Vaughn is ready to play every day in 2021? I do. We've seen, I haven't been able to personally see him in uh, Winston-Salem or Birmingham, but every chance that he's been on television, I've seen his back control is unbelievable. His, his plate 
you know, disciplined control. He takes walks, he hits for power, he hits for contact. I think he can be a really incredible player in the middle of this lineup for the next decade, maybe. And with Vaughn in the mix as far as in the 2021 roster, where do you have him starting with the White Sox? I have him slotting in at the DH. Um, I think, you know, Jose Abreu has to be the everyday first baseman with his MB, hopefully MVP season. Um, and we just don't have a DH the way that some teams do. Edwin Encarnacion obviously didn't work out. So I think he's an everyday DH who potentially relieves Abreu at first as he ages and needs some time off or needs some DH time. Well, I don't think it's a bad idea to lock up the core players to new ideals that help costs keep costs from fluctuating too much during their arbitration years, and especially as far as his contention window, because for my plan, I was just focusing on the 2021 payroll, but obviously with all of our suggestions, it's going to impact the 2022 and 2023 and 2024 payroll, and Daniel has done a very good job of looking ahead and try to keep some parts of this roster uh, cost-controlled for the White Sox so they can continue to add during the contention window, and I think that's a really good idea. So, Daniel, thank you so much for joining the Sox Machine podcast and sharing your off-season plan. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. It's been a pleasure. There are a lot of Sox Machine off-season plans that include signing Trevor Bauer, and even more to sign Marcus Stroman to help solidify the White Sox starting rotation. That's the route I took. But Michael Kenny went in a different direction for a major starting pitching signing, and he joins us now to share that idea. And hey, Michael, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. Okay, so while many of us either had Bauer or Stroman as the major starting pitcher pickup this offseason, you went in a different direction. You think the White Sox should sign Masahiro Tanaka. Why did you go the Tanaka route? Well, I think it was in part because my plan also included trading for Lance Lynn from the Texas Rangers. That was kind of like the, you know, the top line started that I was trading for. And so from that point, I was kind of thinking of, you know, who to add from there, having a little bit of money to play with and thinking that Tanaka is about the exact opposite of a gamble you know he's consistent durable reliable he's a guy who I think would fit in really well toward the back end of that rotation and I think that if he's the Sox number four starter in this scenario that means they probably have one of the best rotations in baseball and Tanaka when he signed with the New York Yankees signed for seven years 155 million dollars so to compare uh, you currently have as far as in your offseason plan signing uh, Tanaka to a three-year $48 million contract so about $16 million per season plus club options because we know the Chicago White Sox love club options uh, <laughs> for for players signing them a free agency but speaking as far as the White Sox and Tanaka this would not be the first time that these two parties have danced as the White Sox were also heavily pursuing Tanaka uh, back in 2014 before he signed with the New York Yankees. Would this be any, another example, Michael, that Kenny Williams always gets his man eventually if they do end up signing Tanaka? I think it certainly could. I guess the one thing that would be kind of interesting to me, I, I mean, I don't know how much interest the Yankees have in bringing him back, but I've been reading a little bit about how his original team in Japan, the Eagles, might be looking to make him an even more lucrative deal than he could get here. I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but if that happens, you know, I don't really, I don't really know how he could turn that down. 
but yeah, I mean, I think the White Sox, you know, as long as the Yankees aren't just going to, you know, give him all the money he wants, you know, could be as good a player as anybody for his services. That would be fascinating if Masahiro Tanaka can get a better contract going back to Japan to pitch again than in Major League Baseball, especially when you have a lot of contending teams that are starving for starting pitching. That would be that would be radical. Now, speaking of radical, you also had another idea that I haven't seen elsewhere, and that's signing Tim Anderson to another extension, this time seven years, $100 million. Michael, Anderson's already signed possibly through the 2025 season as the White Sox have club options. Again, the White Sox love club options for the 2024-2025 season for Anderson. But your idea is extend him all the way to 2028 and for his age 34 season. Why would you add more years to Anderson's deal now? When I look at Tim Anderson, I see a player who just keeps getting better. And I see a guy who, like I said, has become, you know, the face of the White Sox, I think, in the national media. He's just such an exciting player. I think he just gives them so much in terms of marketability, in addition to the fact that he's just become a better and better hitter. You know, I think we looked at 2019 and wondered if maybe it was a fluke, and then he came out and he did what he did this year and had, you know, nine hits in those three games in the wild card series. I just think that this is a guy that needs to be locked up for a long, long time you know, beyond just the four years that are left on his contract now when you include the two club options. And I think that that would, you know, really send a message that this is a guy that, you know, the White Sox team really value and that they want to keep around for as long as he's playing baseball. Yeah, and you, we're going to see the price of start of uh, starting shortstops in Major League Baseball skyrocket soon, right? Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Uh, Trevor Story becomes a free agent after the 2021 season. And Javier Baez, we'll we'll see if he stays with the Chicago Cubs, but the the cost of shortstops is going to skyrocket after the 2021 season. And uh, yeah, the White Sox, if Anderson keeps playing at this level, Michael, are going to have him well below market value uh, for shortstops because I could uh, I could see teams really breaking the bank, especially for those five shortstops. And uh, as you mentioned, the way that Anderson has approved every season has really put him solidify him as far as the top ten shortstop in all of Major League Baseball. So I like these two ideas. And you can follow Michael on Twitter. He's at Michael underscore Kenny Jr., where he is a frequent Sox math winner. (laughs) And Michael, thank you so much for joining the uh, Sox Machine podcast to share your ideas. Always a pleasure, Jack. Thank you. The decision to bring back Lurie Garcia has been a bit of a seesaw on the Sox Machine offseason plans. Some followed in a direction I went by not picking up his $3.5 million club option, and some quickly picked up that option to be a super utility player because, man, shortstop depth is pretty scary right now for the White Sox. Well, our next guest went in a different direction for the super utility role, so let's ask him about it as Wesley joins the Sox Machine podcast. And hey, Wesley, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, to replace Lurie Garcia... Your idea is for the White Sox to sign 
Kiki Hernandez. What's the thinking of going after Hernandez? So Kike Hernandez, I've been a big fan of him uh, ever since he joined up on the Dodgers. Um, super utility guy, you know, excels playing second base, left field. Um, just by the stats this year, he's had eight defensive runs saved at second base in 30 games, which is phenomenal. Um, he has a 4.86 range factor, which is tops in the majors for qualified second baseman. Um, he's a clutch hitter, uh, as evidenced by game six and NLCS, you know, pinch hit game tying home run, um, high energy guy, good personality. It feels like he'd be a great locker room fit. Um, I don't know about Nick Madrigal he, coming back from his injury. Um, I don't know how he's going to come back from his shoulder, his shoulder issue. If he's going to be hundred percent, if his, if that's going to affect his defensive ability. And so if it ever came down to it, Kike Hernandez, you know, could come in as a defensive replacement second base or, as Gerard Dyson did with Eloy Jimenez, he can come in and left field because out of all the outfield spots, uh, Kike Hernandez's best uh, defensively was in left field. Yeah, Hernandez in 2020 played games at second base, and as you mentioned, very well, by the way, very convincing, especially the defensive metrics. He's very good at second base. He did play left field, right field, center field, so all three outfield spots. Hernandez also started games at first base and at shortstop. Uh, so very super utility. And that was, in my plan, I should have put more thought into what if Dick Magical is not ready to go on opening day. And I guess with my plan, it would be Danny Mendick. So I like your ideal already much better having Kiki Hernandez possibly be the White Sox opening day second baseman if Nick Magical is not ready to go. Okay, but for manager... You also went in a different direction than most and one that I find intriguing. Obviously, there are some that do like the idea of Tony La Russa, that old school 74-year-old manager for the Chicago White Sox to replace Rick Renteria. But you went with former San Francisco Giants skipper Bruce Boshi. Why do you think Boshi would be a good fit for the White Sox? Um, the biggest thing is he gets the most out of his players. He's a... Um, in the playoffs 2010, 2012, and 2014, um, his, his lineups and his starting staff weren't filled with superstars. You know, he got the most out of players like Aubrey Huff, Angel Pagan, Gregor Blanco, Ryan Vogelsong. Um, he also provides, a, you know, non-baggage. He's got a winning bloodline. Um, and a, as opposed to A.J. Hinch and, and, and Joey Cora, or excuse me, Alex Cora with their you know, they're the cheating backgrounds. Uh, just Bucci, Bucci, he's just a not, no nonsense guy. Um, it, it, it just seems if you're going to go a route of a retired, not a retired, but, a, you know, out of baseball manager, I would pick Bochi over Tony La Russa. Yeah, I would too. Bochi's won World Series most recently. My only mm-hmm. concern, Wesley, is the health. He stepped away from the Giants because I think mostly because he saw that their rebuild was coming, but he's also had heart problems in the past. And with, with mm-hmm. most of the country still in a pandemic, as we are recording this, uh, does that concern mm-hmm. you at all as far as his long-term health to take over for the White Sox? Well, uh, I, I feel as if Joe McEwing, when he has had to step in, um, if they do plan on keeping Joe McEwing around, uh, I think he'd be perfectly fine um, stepping in if if Bochi were to get ill or 
you know, have to step away for a while. Uh, you look at Cleveland with Terry Francona. Terry Francona had to leave, and Sandy Alomar Jr. took over, and I'm pretty sure he led them to, I think, like 28 wins, 18 losses and stuff. And I also, in my offseason plan, I put, up, you know, possibly Sandy Alomar Jr. also, if, if you couldn't get Bruce Bochy. Um, Alomar, obviously, with ties to the White Sox, I think he had three different stints, you know, you know as catcher for him. Um, he'd be another option, I feel like, also, who could step in and, and has done it under circumstances where he was like, hey, uh, Francona's, you know, gone. Can you come in and take over? So. Yeah, and if the White Sox want to add more championship experience to their roster, I don't think you can do much better than adding Kiki Hernandez and Bruce Boshi uh, to their clubhouse. So I think these are great ideas, and you can check out Wesley's plan on SoxMachine.com, listed under Chi-Town Fan 92 And Wesley, thank you so much for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. We all know that the White Sox must get better play in right field, that they are going to win the American League Central in 2021. But if the team decides to spend a lot of money on a starting pitcher, that takes away an opportunity possibly for the White Sox to sign George Springer to man that position. There have been a few Jock Peterson signings in the offseason plan project, which personally I'm not a big fan of after his last two seasons. But I'm glad that our next guest made this suggestion as a target for the White Sox. Joining us now on the Sox Machine Podcast is Jeff Fayer. And Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Josh, thanks for having me. So to improve right field, your idea is for the White Sox to sign former Boston Red Sox center fielder Jackie Bradley Jr. Why did you go with JBJ as the White Sox right fielder option? Uh, you know, at this point after last season, I was really looking for a warm body. You know, anyone that could give get above zero point zero WAR. No, in reality, it was a couple reasons. You know, I've rarely ever—I don't think we've ever seen it—seen the White Sox spend in two off seasons going after big fish like they did with Grandall last season, and if they do that with Springer this season. So, you know, looking along the the lines of people the Sox have been either tied to before or that are available via trade or via free agency. You know, it led me to two guys. You know, we heard a little bit about Joey Gallo last year. It's for the last couple seasons, I feel like there's been rumors about Jackie Bradley Jr. And, you know, throughout last season, people were saying, no, Adam Engel should just play out there because, you know, he's a better glove at least than Nomar Mazzara. And Jackie Bradley's a really, really good glove. Uh, I think right field's been his second most predominant position in the big leagues other than center field. But if you've got a guy out there like Jackie Bradley Jr., who's a more accomplished bat than Engel as well, has postseason experience, uh, you know, is not by any means the perfect player at all, but is a left-handed bat, can carry, can carry the stick, can carry the glove. Uh, and I think we can all say is, a, is an upgrade over the unknown that is Nomar Mazzara. And I guess that's the biggest thing is that with Jackie Bradley, you know what you're getting. With Nomar Mazzara, we kept waiting for what – for like that unknown to happen for that, like potential to come out. And it just never did. But Jackie Bradley, you're getting positive defense. You're getting an okay bat. You're getting a left-handed left-handed bat in the lineup and you're getting a professional, a professional baseball player out there. So again, the, the bar is not too like high to cross this next year. I mean, we just need somebody out there that I say, we, I should say the white Sox, but uh, somebody out there that's a positive. And I think Jackie Bradley can be that. 
how much are you buying his 2020 numbers? Because it was a career high as far as batting average at 283 and career high and on base percentage at 364. He had over an 800 OPS uh, for those that like to follow the OPS route. But for OPS plus on baseball reference, he was at 118, which is 18% better than league average. That's the best he's been since 2016 when he was an all-star. Are you buying that moving forward that Jackie Bradley Jr. can continue to post these types of numbers? No, and I think with any acquisition, it'd be crazy just to buy that they're going to be exactly who they were this season before you got them. I think that's insane. I think it has to be some conglomerate, especially someone with as much experience as him, some total or aggregate of what he's done in his past or some average. Because I don't think it's gonna, he's just going to replicate exactly what happened last year. But Again, we're, we're comparing it to what we got out of right field last year. And I think anything that he's done in his career outside, I believe, 2019 was a pretty rough go, uh, is a positive for him or positive for the White Sox. So I don't think he's going to replicate exactly what he did in 2020. But, again, he's, he's going to be hitting seventh and ninth in the lineup. It's not like there's going to be a lot being asked of him. It's going to be mainly just being a pro- professional batter in the lineup. And that's a good point. Like, if you had to trust who is more likely to be a two-war player in 2021, I'm with you. I trust Jackie Bradley Jr. because he'll help out defensively, also in the base paths as well, where Nomar Mazzara really has to bounce back offensively just to get to that two-war level. So, again, I like the idea of Jackie Bradley Jr. Another idea, and I think that this is a very fair contract value, um, you have the White Sox re-signing James McCann. The deal that you propose is three years, $33 million, which, again, would be great for the White Sox to continue to have the best catching duo in all of Major League Baseball. I just have a hard time seeing them spending $29-plus on two catchers on the same <laughs> roster. But, you know, let's talk through this. Why do you think it's important for the White Sox to keep McCann and how would his role possibly change in 2021 from 2020? Well, I think people, you know, referencing McCann's leadership ability and his locker room presence and the influence he's had on Giolito, I mean, that, that can't factor too much into the whole thing because, you know, in reality, a World Series contender can't hinge on their backup catcher being gone. Uh, backup catch last DH. But when I looked at the whole thing, I looked at it as I think I broke it down in my plan by at bats or plate appearances between, you know, Andrew Vaughn, Abreu, McCann, and Grandall between catcher, first base, and DH, and somehow figuring out how those 1950 to 2000 at bats or plate appearances work out. And again, I, I kept thinking this is in my mind the entire time is there was a negative 0.8 war between McCann and or McCann, Mazzara and Encarnacion last year. And just bringing McCann back and knowing that he's probably not going to be a negative in that lineup. And not, I'm saying that, saying that we're paying a guy $11 million a year just to not be a negative. But it, it really is, you're paying Andrew Vaughn, and I, I am pretty confident that Andrew Vaughn is not going to come up and stink up the joint. Um, and again, this is just my mindset. People obviously will have different theories than me but with McCann you're getting a guy out there that's going to be a positive catcher he's a better he's a better catcher outside of the framing piece than Grandall and you're going to get someone that can handle the bats you're going to get a little bit of flexibility to line up move Grandall to first base I mean I'm expecting there to be how can you not have negative regression in the mean for Obreu next year I mean his given his age and what he did this season it'd be hard to hard to imagine him getting better um but just 
factoring those four players and those, those three and looking at them as a total, as far as how much money you're spending, it's $47 million, I think, between four players. Um, I, I just think McCann is going to be still one of the best, better position players on the market. He's going to hit 270 to 290. He's going to play, he's going to play catcher, and that's going to relieve a lot off Grandall. I think you can't, you can't put Grandall behind the plate and then expect either Collins, Zavala, you know, Mercedes, anyone to play catcher. If they get another free agent, too, that's obviously a possibility. But you get another free agent that's out there, no one out there is blowing your socks off right now. So there's going to be a drastic drop to what they had this year. So I think bringing McCann back is going to do a lot of things. You know, like I said, take, take a little pressure off Grandall, um, give a little bit of flexibility to that lineup, and create some continuity with the, with the team. I mean, in, in his mind, you know, he was kicking around trying to find his role with the Tigers for a number of years. Finally got here and, um, you know, found his, found his place. Uh, granted, I'm not the one that's going to be deciding between how much money I'm going to make next year, getting multi-million dollar offers. So I'm not going to say that, you know, not wanting to leave Chicago is going to be a, a heavy influence in his part. But I, I really hope it is because I think they're, he's a good fit here. Um, I don't think it's going to be the – it's not going to be the determining factor whether the White Sox are contender next year. But – it would be nice to have a little bit of continuity with the team and what they went through this year going into next year. And you can't discount his relationship with Lucas Giolito, the Chicago White Sox ace. And uh, I think we learned a very painful lesson watching the White Sox (laughs) when they did not bring back Tyler Flowers. And uh, obviously that made Chris Sale upset. And that was the beginning of the end (laughs) of that relationship. So if they can find a way to avoid that, that'd be great. So Jeff's plan is to raise the floor for the White Sox as far as talent wise. And I don't think that's a bad idea going to 2021. And I enjoyed these two ideas, Jeff. And thank you so much for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you, Josh, for having me. And thank you to uh, everybody at Sox Machine for doing this plan project because it gets, uh, gets their minds going right after, the se- right, right after a tough season, right after a tough end of the season. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Huge thanks to Lawrence Holmes for joining to share his thoughts about the upcoming Chicago White Sox offseason. Again, listen to his show weekdays from 12 to 2 p.m. Central Time on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. A few marketing notes before signing off. One, keep posting your Sox Machine off-season plans. If you haven't yet, no worries. You still have plenty of time to post yours on SoxMachine.com. On the homepage, you'll find the off-season format and the instructions in posting. Second, Jim wasn't able to join this show, but he will be answering your P.O. Sox questions in written format on SoxMachine.com on Monday. He will be back next week as we will recap the World Series. And who knows, maybe the Chicago White Sox have hired a new manager by then. Third, we still have plenty of Sox Machine shirts available, but sold out of the largest. Don't worry, we will be restocking the large sizes before the holidays if you are thinking of gifts for friends or family. For those that wear small, medium, extra large, and double XL, We have shirts for you that cost just $25, including shipping. And you can become a friend of the podcast and site by signing up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. We have several tiers for you to choose from to earn additional Socks Machine swag and gain access to the Patreon version of the podcast where it's ad-free and more content with an extended P.O. Socks Q&A and an opportunity to ask questions to our guests. So if you enjoy our work and want to help, 
Go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. If you are new to the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts as the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm, buy one and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.